Have you ever walked past a dumpster and been like, yo, I wonder what's in that dumpster? I can put on these glasses. Let's start eating that trash can. <laughs> Waking up in Fresno for the first time, you feel the energy in this place. As if something amazing is happening. You get to be there. Fresno's given me more than I could ever ask for. Moving here was definitely a leap of faith, but it's a leap that completely changed my life. You're listening to the True Crime Dumpster podcast with hosts Amy and Kevin and special guest host Lauren. And we are spending our last day here in Portland with our good friend Lauren doing the case of Marcus Wesson. Because it seemed fitting being two pregnant ladies. I, you know, I just want to do something appropriate for celebrating our wombs. Uh, and so this week. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so this week we're going to be celebrating that with talking about Marcus Wesson. And also Lauren has a special connection to Marcus Wesson. I'm sorry, that sounds terrible, but... <laughs> Yeah, you're really setting this up in a yeah. really weird way. <laughs> well, you'll learn more about Marcus Wesson, and Lauren is unofficial aficionado of Mr. Wesson because she was actually one of his neighbors. So Yes, I had the misfortune of living in Fresno for 10 years. Oh, that's a crime in and of itself. So thank you for joining us this week as we celebrate our last day in Portland. But yeah, we'll go ahead and get started. So... I'll ask you about yourself as well, but I'll just do a little intro to Mr. Wesson. So I can't call him a family annihilator because he's not technically a family annihilator because the familicide is defined as a domestic crime where a father murders at least one of his biological children, which he did, and the children's mother, which I don't believe he did. Although, you know... I think children and mother there wasn't a big separation between those two things often so we know these offenders as family annihilators and even though marcus wesson killed nine people in his immediate family he doesn't technically fit the description so for the sake of textbook definitions and technicalities we're going to call him a family destroyer in this episode because that's just what he did so so that's like a, a runner-up or something yeah that's not quite there's as no good yeah, it's it's parasite technically because it's a parent killing their children. So, how did you find out about Marcus Wesson, Lauren? Uh, well, I happened to be living right down the street from him, and so the the first time I was really made aware of what what had happened, I came home to the SWAT team, uh, heavy police presence on the corner in which I would normally turn down Hammond Street from West Avenue. And so I, I couldn't go that way. <laughs> um, it was not completely abnormal to have that much police activity, unfortunately, in that part oh, of yeah. Fresno where I was living. But uh, it definitely looked pretty intense for what was what was happening. So I went around the other way, went went back on 
Olive Avenue, then turned around back on the other side of Hammond, which is actually closer to my house. But uh, I noticed all of my neighbors being, you know, on the sidewalk Mm. and looking very upset. So that was kind of my first introduction as to, oh, crap, something really bad just happened. Yeah. But (laughs) did you see him around town yeah, so so I, I had also lived off of another street called Weldon, and he lived a couple streets above, and we happened to ride the same bus together occasionally downtown, and he was uh, definitely someone you would remember if you saw. He was a very large guy. Like, yeah, like anywhere very between three imposing. to four hundred pounds. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of you know, big, heavy dreadlocks. Uh, just didn't look super, super friendly of a guy. Mm. <laughs> um, so you never talked to him. No, okay. I did not. And uh, it seemed like just, most people didn't, maybe? He definitely, that entire family definitely kept to themselves. Yeah. I think that was part of the trauma that he put them through. Yeah, definitely. Um, part of his MO. Yeah, because not only is he like a family destroyer, as I'm calling him, but also he was kind of like a cult leader, which we'll talk about a little bit. Definitely. And it's definitely a cult of his own making, not necessarily. He couldn't get people to join his cult. He just made his own people. Yeah. yeah. So that'll definitely be something we talk about in this episode. So like Lauren was saying, on March 12th, 2004, police responded to a child custody dispute at a small home on seven. Well, it wasn't a small home, was it? It was like a was it small? It was a it was a small looking office building. Yeah. So um, on the corner. Yeah, it wasn't and- it wasn't supposed to be used for residential. So I know that they were probably going to be evicted, but they did actually own it. Do you think it was probably, was it pretty cheap to live in Fresno in that area or like around that time? Yeah, it was, it was real cheap. Because it's (laughs) kind of hard to imagine that he could buy this just kind of based on like his rental history, which we'll get into in a little bit. Yeah. Police officers were responding to a domestic disturbance, basically, where two people, his nieces, were complaining at 761 West Hammond Avenue near Roding Roding Park? Roding Park, yeah. So once they arrived, officers spoke to Ruby Ortiz and Sofina Solario, along with some family members who were with them. They had come by because they were worried about the children inside, seeing that they were being held captive inside the rundown office building. And they were adamant that the man inside, their uncle, Marcus Wesson, was going to hurt the children. The police knocked on the door to see what was happening with Marcus Wesson. Like you said, a large man, very imposing, with grange dreadlocks down to his waist. He was calm and cooperative. He agreed to turn over the children, but wanted to tell them goodbye first. He asked the officers to wait and returned inside, closing the door. Later, neighbors said that they heard gunshots while the police denied hearing any. Despite Ortiz and Solorio's claims, and without a warrant or any indication that there was a safety issue at hand, the police didn't actually have the authority to enter the Wesson house until, well, we're going to see. So they waited outside on his word. So after almost an hour and a half, Wesson walked out of the front door with his clothes covered in blood. And finally, they could actually go in. So as he surrendered to the arresting officers, other officers rushed inside of the house. Despite the sunny afternoon, the building was dark and silent. Against one wall, several coffins are stacked up. And you said, did you actually ever see the coffins? So not really, I guess. So the first place that he lived that I was aware of was not on Hammond, but right right above Fresno City College. 
I just know because there was a giant bus parked on the side of the house. And I guess that's where he was storing the coffins. And then later on, when they moved to that office space off of Hammond, the bus was still there and the coffins, the coffins were, were moved supposedly inside. in the bus. Oh. Um, and then I guess at some point they moved him inside. But okay. that was just their like doomsday plan of disposal, As you do. I guess. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> Thinking ahead. Yeah. <laughs> then they an- entered a back room and inside covered in blood was a pile of bodies, some of which were children. Each had been shot through the eye. Because they were in such a tangle, it would take hours before the police could determine how many victims there were, and it would be several days before they were all identified. So I'm going to attempt. I think I'm going to get all the names okay. Um, But there was Sabrina April Wesson, who was the oldest victim, who was 25 years old. There was Elizabeth Brahe Kina Wesson, who was 17 years old. There was Illabelle Carrie Wesson, age 8. Aviv Dominique Wesson, age seven. Jonathan St. Charles Wesson, age seven. Sidonia Solorio Wesson, age two. Marshy St. Christopher Wesson, age two. Ethan St. Laurent Wesson, age four. And Jiva St. Valensferi Wesson, aged one. So the victims range in ages all the way from 25 to one. And so in trying to determine the next of kin to, you know, make announcements to the families the coroner had dna testing done on all of the victims and it wasn't until the results came back that the true extent of marcus wesson's depravity was finally revealed so who was marcus wesson born in 1946 wesson was the oldest of four children his father was an abusive alcoholic who couldn't hold down a job he even left to go live with another man for a few years and i did i was actually listening to another podcast today as i like to do i know a lot of People don't like to do that before they do their own case, but red handed. I did not know. Did a, I keep we keep doing cases that red handed did. But if you haven't listened to them, they're an amazing podcast. They actually said that they did research where the man that the father went to go live with was potentially his cousin. That would make which, a lot of sense. Yeah. Which. Yeah. Unfortunately, kind of similar to our Vera Jo Regal episode, that idea of keeping it in the family and being OK with it, I guess, you know, so. Hey. That's what the royals do, right? Well, Just got to follow their lead. They're, this is the Wessons or the royal family? Okay. Yeah. If I'm talking now. about the royal family in England, bro. Okay. Kings and queens and dragons and shit. Well, we're working on the royal family of president right now. There you yeah, go. This there is, you oh, God. <laughs> sorry, so sorry to sorry, interrupt, yeah, I wanted to say that. <laughs> on the other hand, his mother, Carrie, was a strict Seventh-day Adventist who led the family in daily Bible studies and would whip the children with an electrical cord. Uh, Marcus dropped out of high school at 17 and joined the military, where he was either a medic or ambulance driver, depending upon the source. He left the military with an honorable discharge and settled into San Jose, California. There he met Rosemary Maitorina, Mm -hmm. a woman 13 years his senior, who had eight children from previous relationships. I can't even imagine. Seriously, just going through one pregnancy right now. (laughs) Eight children. Seriously. Oh, crap. Uh, (laughs) Marcus seemed eager to take on the big family since he believed they needed a shepherd to guide him. Too soon, they had a son together. At one point, one of Maya Torino's older daughters, also named Rosemary, struggling with drug addiction, dropped off her seven children, bringing the number of children in the household to 16. So there you go. There's his flock, you know, his forced flock. Is that his first? Yeah, his first flock. Yeah. The first litter? Yeah, I I guess it's two combined at this point. So 
all of a sudden this guy goes from one to 16, you know? Yeah. I mean, maybe, you know, he had a really strong desire to have a family. I can totally understand that coming from a small family, you know, having a desire to have a big family, but Mm -hmm. this guy takes it to the extreme. Yeah. And that's like (laughs) literally almost overnight. Like, cause what may, may, may Turena, she had how many when eight? Uh, yeah. I went from, yeah. Yeah. Doubles. Yeah. It literally just doubles overnight. But it was Matrina's eight-year-old daughter, Elizabeth, that Marcus was most fixated on. He claimed that God had told him that Elizabeth was his wife, and he held a home marriage ceremony to the child. He then... I'm just going to say, wow. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's it's good for your budget, right? Home marriage ceremony. It is cheap. (laughs) Yeah. I mean... Way to be thrifty. (laughs) Got to be thrifty when you got 16 children to take care of. That's a lot of mouths to feed <laughs> it's just uh, so insane yeah, but yeah have you ever met an eight-year-old no one <laughs> he then took her out of school to begin personally teaching her when elizabeth was 12 he began sexually assaulting her you know i i i'm surprised that he would wait till she was 12 i mean just yeah. knowing the depravity of I this highly, guy i highly doubt he waited till 12. i doubt it i'm sure he was molesting her before <laughs> and during the quote-unquote marriage yeah, unfortunately. I think that's what teaching her means. Right. Yeah, teaching her in quotes. And no, we're not in the rainforest cafe. We <laughs> we might be. We have we have a couple of birds keeping us company as well. Yes, we have two guest birds here. <laughs> um, it's the peanut gallery. <laughs> they don't like Marcus Wesson either. Uh, rather than protecting her daughter, Matrina merely insisted that they wait till Elizabeth was of legal age, fifteen, to get married. Like, 15 is so much better. Um, but at 14, Elizabeth became pregnant with Marcus's baby, and the two were wed as soon as she was of legal age to marry. Marcus would go on to father 10 more children with her before she reached the age of 26. I'm going to say, um, wow. <laughs> 10 children. That's one a year, basically. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, that's that's a lot. That's a lot of, that's a lot of diapers. I went to my first pregnancy class last night and i'm gonna say um well that was a lot of dilating (laughs) there was a lot of talk (laughs) of dilation yeah and effacing that's a whole lot of time spent dilating that's all i know so i'll be i'll be 26 weeks on sunday and it is what saturday and a friday today i don't know what day it is anymore so yeah i don't know anything i don't know what effacing means yet so you guys will have to fill me in yeah yeah i could fill you in (laughs) but uh it's funner to I don't want to ruin the surprise. <laughs> All right. So why didn't Matrina protect her children from Marcus? Her obedience was most likely the result of profound fear, brainwashing, or both. He even made his family refer to him as master and lord. God, that seems to be so prevalent in a lot of the stories that we cover, like the Natasha Kampusch, you know? What but, did I just say about the royal family? I know. I, I was joking, but I, didn't, I guess I wasn't joking. He also beat the women and children with electrical cords, baseball bats, and his fists for the slightest transgression. One son, Serafino, recounted being beaten for 30 days straight for the crime of stealing a spoonful of peanut butter. Mm. Sofrina recalled Marcus beating their one-month-old infant, Jonathan, until his legs bled because he wouldn't stop crying. Why does he want to have all these I children? I don't think that's oh, a good God. way to get a baby to stop crying. <laughs> I'm not a father yet, but beating to the... Legs beating are bleeding. Beating tall bleeding, yeah. I don't, I think that might make them cry. It's a little overkill for a one month old. 
Yeah. I just and it just begs the question like I mean obviously he didn't want children because he loved having children. And I there's clearly there's no indication of that. It's 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 so that he has a congregation. He just had to force those fucking coffins. Forced congregation, you know. He had all these fucking coffins stacking up. Yeah. Do you think Costco was giving him like a bulk deal? He ba- I heard that he was just picking them up whenever they were at like a lo- local antiques dealer. And so mm. like he was kind of known. And so when they he would get one. Them? No. When, when, when like antique dealers in town would get one, they would actually like call him up. And they're like, hey, we got another one. Because they knew that so they could always. So these were fancy coffins. I just think that they were just random coffins. I was that thinking maybe... like old west, you know, old timey fucking coffins i, I think yeah. they range I, I just think that any vendor that got them and didn't know what to do with them would just call up marcus and he would come pick them up which is just so, so strange it's like true. something i will give fresno a compliment about is that they have a pretty incredible thrift and antique scene <laughs> apparently lots of coffins yeah. yeah now we know where to go to get one of those yeah absolutely because he believed the world was full of sin he isolated the family and forbade them to have contact with outsiders all the children were homeschooled. When Safrina tried to leave, he stabbed her in the chest. God. He also moved them around a lot. Once they lived in a rusted out tugboat with no electricity or running water, where Mar- Marcus made the entire family stay below deck so they wouldn't be seen. Yeah, and I also read that he had the women like like almost in like a slave ship style. Like uh, they would row in like underneath, you know, uh, like cause they actually lived in water. It wasn't just like a towed tugboat. It's just so strange. So on one of the few, on YouTube, it doesn't exist. But if you go to Dr. Phil's website, and this is the only time I'm ever going to suggest anyone ever go there, (laughs) you can actually watch, there's, it looks like two different episodes, first episode and a second episode, where they interview the, the Wesson family. One of the things that I remember from that episode was uh, one of the, the children was recounting an experience they had when they were living on this boat that for some reason there was some police activity on the one of the docks and the police showed up and I think I'm not sure if Marcus Wesson was there or if he was out running errands or doing something else but all the kids got prepared to off themselves because they had been they had been taught that if they the police came that they were going to be all taken away from each other and they were all going to be punished and put in jail and all kinds of stuff and so they it, so they was like so they were like lining up, they were lining up com- oh, uh, preparing themselves to to commit suicide yeah and i just <laughs> to I live mean, in these that are kind like, of fear yeah these are like teenagers and elementary school students at that point um his his biological children that he had with this um eight-year-old or well i guess 14 year old at the time that he had married um so that to me just just kind of like was like a little uh, glimpse into their childhood of how how horrible it must have been um, yeah. living on that boat. Did they seem I mean, did they seem somewhat well adjusted like in the Dr. Phil episode? I hope so. Yeah, I mean, I can't really I can't speak yeah, to their yeah. uh, mental health or but anything. They, they all seem like lovely, normal people. Yeah, but I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah issues you know like from coming from a really cultish religious family yeah (laughs) especially one that's so incestual yeah Uh, weston sometimes scavenged hamburgers out of the mcdonald's dumpster for his family to eat the boat did end up getting him in trouble however he failed to list it as an asset on his welfare forms and went to jail for welfare fraud in 1990 in the mid and late 1990s the family lived in a trailer and a large army tent in the santa cruz mountains on land with no running water 
Sometimes they lived in a school bus. By the late 1990s, the children of Marcus and Elizabeth Weston were old enough to work, and Mr. Weston used our money to buy the old office building on Hammond Avenue. So that's what you were explaining to us earlier, yeah. Yeah. In his compound, Marcus got to, quote, play preacher, subjecting the family to hours-long Bible studies that were based on his own hodgepodge of religious beliefs, including that he was God and that Jesus Christ was a vampire. But I think he was the trifecta. Like, he was He was part of that, yeah. He was Jesus Christ, and he is also a vampire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Kevin will tell us about that. Unsurprisingly, he was fascinated by and felt a kinship with fellow cult leader David Koresh. During the 1993 siege of the compound in Waco, Marcus was glued to the TV. He told his family, quote, This is how the world is attacking God's people. This man is just like me. He is making children for the Lord. That's what we should be doing, making children for the Lord. End quote. And like Koresh, Marcus had a deep hatred of law enforcement. He even mandated a suicide pact, like we were just talking about. If any government official ever tried to take the children away or split up the family, the mothers were to kill the children and then themselves. He held monthly family meetings to discuss the details of his plan. So it's just so crazy how normalized it was in their family, too. It's just like, hey, don't forget the the exit strategy, you know, when, when if the if the feds come calling, you know. Ugh. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Family that, huddle, family huddle. I'm yeah. sure that plan they had on the boat wasn't the first or last time that they had had that like reality faced to them for sure also like Koresh Wesson controlled every aspect of his family's lives the women and girls had to dress in long skirts and headscarves walk behind him and remain silent in public did you ever see the women walking with Marcus or was it just him usually you saw on his own I didn't but there's a lot of religious stuff in Fresno so it would have blended right in with like I mean there's a lot of like heavy Catholicism oh okay Seventh-day Adventists and like uh, just so they may have kind of blended in with the community Marcus yeah couldn't blend quite as much he definitely did not yeah Um, I will say that neighborhood like how did you end up there heavily well (laughs) did you grow up there or was this like a sound decision that you made to live there (laughs) To live in Fresno or to live? No, to live in um, Fresno, yeah. Are you from there? Uh, so I was born there and lived there for about five years. And then my parents moved to the East Coast. And then we moved up to like Sacramento area. Gotcha. Um, San Luis Obispo. And then my dad ended up taking a, an old job back with some friends. Got it. So moved back like right okay. when I was in high school. Gotcha. Uh, so it wasn't totally like, ooh, Fresno. Like can't no. wait to live there. So it's just kind of no. where you kind of one of the places you grew up. Yeah. And, it, you know, coming from Sacramento, there was a better music scene there. And then I moved to Fresno and became very depressed. And then ended up my parents ended up actually moving back to to Sacramento. And then I stayed behind because I would already I already started college in Fresno. And mm-hmm. it was incredibly cheap to live there. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, it was like the house we were living in, especially on Hammond. Uh, I, I lived both on Olive Avenue and Hammond Avenue which is the same area. Um, it's it's in the Tower District and just outside the Tower District, which is like the art scene mm-hmm. there. And it was just very easy to throw shows at your house and yeah. have basement shows and yeah, if the, shows. If the police aren't going to fucking come beat on Marcus Wesson's door every day, they're probably not going to give a fuck if a bunch of punk kids are having, or like metal kids are like having a show. A lot of my neighbors were Parkside Bulldog gang members. And so it was just easy to pay them off with tall cans of Bud Light and 
weed and yeah so it was easy to party was there. like i don't call the cops if you don't call the cops and gotcha. we just had a good agreement going on yeah okay so the women were also forbidden to talk with men under punishment of being beaten even their own brothers and cousins were segregated away from them lest they quote develop sexual feelings for other men their lives were filled with unending labor they were responsible for taking care of the children as well as all the cleaning and cooking even when there was no running water or electricity. They were also expected to wait on Marcus hand and foot, washing his massive dreadlocks and even scratching his armpits. <laughs> I'm making this horrible face right now because he definitely had an odor. I will say that having shared the same bus with him, he was not a well-groomed man. I feel like dreadlocks can be beautiful, but he was just very... Just... So, so he's a very large think... guy. <laughs> Do you think the women were doing a bad job cleaning his dreadlocks and scratching <laughs> his armpits? They, maybe they had some priorities that were more to tending the children. I don't know. But man, how much of a suck if you were an armpit duty for the night? <laughs> that might have been the good duty. Oh. We, we don't know. Yeah. It's like it does kind of remind me of Sherry Brooks, Sherry Brooks and doing her feet. <gasps> If you don't do them, you'll get hit with the itchy stick, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. What? <laughs> or a couple episodes back. Okay. The itchy stick, yeah. I'll have to catch up on the itchy stick. <laughs> yeah. No one wants to get hit with that. <laughs> In addition, anyone old enough to work outside the home was expected to do so and hand over the wages to Marcus. As for Marcus, he refused to work. Ha <laughs> ha! And instead drew welfare benefits. In such poverty, food was scarce, and the children said often they only had rice to eat and would dig in dumpsters for food. Marcus, meanwhile, dined on fast food, enough uh, that by the time he was arrested, he weighed nearly 300 pounds, and he was so wide, they needed three sets of handcuffs. Three sets of handcuffs? What? <laughs> this guy sucks. I'm just going to say that before that the story's crazy? done. I don't even understand how that works, but... The fact that he couldn't even be arrested by, arrested by a regular pair of handcuffs. They can't just slap a couple on, onion rings around his wrists? <laughs> Call it good? So, as soon as the girls in this family, begin, uh, including his nieces and daughters, reached the age of about eight, Marcus began called what... <laughs> he began what he called, quote, loving. He would begin by fondling them in their beds at night and then move up to outright sexual assault in order to, quote, teach them to be better women. <laughs> oh, because he knows about being a better woman. So then he would, quote, marry each of them in his own ceremony, where the girl would lay her hand upon the Bible, and Marcus would lay his hand down over hers while they recited marriage vows. Then Marcus would give the girl a gold wedding band and necklace. Marcus went on to father seven more children by his nieces and daughters. In his twisted beliefs, polygamy was mandatory and incest, quote, produces the seed of perfection of oneself. That's a pretty, that's not a, a, a rare thought among some circles. So despite this abuse, many in the family fondly remember their days with Mr. Wesson. He devised entertainments for the family, such as plays, concerts, and, quote, ugly contests in which the children would dress up to be as ugly as possible. So he told his niece, Rosa Solorio, and his daughter, Sabrina Wesson, they were both, quote, strong soldiers who 
who would hunt down and kill family members who betrayed him and who might have to kill the family and themselves to prevent a breakup. So that was if law enforcement came to the house, right? Mm -hmm. Possibly in anticipation of such a massacre, Mr. Wesson bought 10 coffins from an antique dealer. Mr. Wesson was also fascinated by vampires and gave himself and his daughters and nieces vampire names. His name for himself was... Okay, ready? Here we go. Oh. You're, I, I'm not even going to try. G. Vammer. Because it's Jesus, Marcus, and Vampire put together. So it's G. G. Vammer. G. Vammer, Marcus Spire. Oh, I think I got it. Whoa, I think you did. It's G. Vammer, like, Marcus Spire. Yeah, he's A mixture of like Jesus, him. Marcus, and Vampire. It's kind of like Blasphema Go to Christ. Oh, my God. I, I tried to find his own Bible that he had written on the internet, and I don't think it he exists. He wrote a Bible? The... You yes. can do that? Well, of course. Why can't, oh, okay. you, write, why uh, can't uh, you write an addition to the Bible? To, yeah. A, a, lot of, a lot of books are additions to the Bible, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he, uh, he wrote his own Bible, and it's like his own cult manifesto and i've looked for it online i don't think it exists um mm. if someone has it though please send it to amy yes yes we'd love to read it okay i would love to read it okay <laughs> lauren would love to read it so the wessons spooked their neighbors and the birds <laughs> so back to the house of horrors that we started with i know we obviously departed from it to talk about marcus wesson's upbringing and how he kind of gathered his forced congregation but the nine bodies of Mr. Wesson's children who were all shot through the eye, um, like I said, were all tangled up and the DNA would eventually show that all of these children were, they were his kin. Right. So the, it, to me, it seems like all of his daughters and stuff, they were all around the ages of like 19 through 25. These were the children he had with his daughters mm -hmm. that were murdered and then one of the one of the daughters or nieces i've been googling to try and figure out who the 25 year old was exactly how she was related yeah. to him, but it, it's very con like they basically didn't know what to think and when because it's just like it's got to be shocking to get that dna result back and be like every single one of these victims was basically some kind of kin to him right so what the police found inside was so horrific that some of them went on administrative leave or into counseling right away. Can I just say, too, that Hammond, that street uh -huh. that we all lived on, you know, I, I mentioned the Fresno Bulldogs. Uh, there were quite a few gentlemen on that street that were pretty intense gang members. Um, and I just remember watching them cry yeah. uh, and being, you know, thinking, holy crap, what just happened? Because I, I, I was arriving home after it happened. But I'm seeing these guys and, you know, they're they're gang members, but they have families and children themselves. And they can't imagine hurting and their one and two year old no, children. Yeah. Absolutely not. And they're, you know, they're standing outside crying and I'm shocked by like something, you know, because we had drive bys and all kinds of other stuff that happened on our street. But I've never just watched a bunch of grown men like Cry crying like before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> on the street. So it was a little bit intense. And yeah, and that. The cops look shaken up, so. Yeah. That night, six police chaplains reported to the building to soothe the detectives gathering evidence. The mayor of Fresno said that the city would never be the same again after the largest mass killing in its history. It is possible 
I have to throw this out there. It is possible that Mr. Wesson did not commit the murders because they didn't technically see him do it. His lawyers say, and of course they're defense lawyers, so that's what they're supposed to do, put reasonable doubt in there, right? They said that it could have been his strong soldier, quote unquote, Sabrina Wesson, who shot the others. Because remember, they were instructed to kill their kids. Right, that was the 25-year-old. So, yeah, yeah, him. yeah. So it could, though it's a possibility, I mean, Charles Manson was put behind bars for being a cult leader and influencing people for, for life. Was he on, I think he was on death row, right? So, I mean, Marcus Wesson is no different. Even it's it's almost like it doesn't matter if he committed these crimes or not. He's still responsible for He's them. Definitely committed enough crimes even prior to this incident to put him away on Hammond Avenue to put him away for life. Exactly. Yeah. So, again, so his lawyers are trying to put out there that he may have not technically committed the murders because of Sabrina Wesson. Um, but she was on she was on top of the pile of bodies and the gun was underneath her. Police found no gun residue on Marcus Wesson. Even if he did not fire the weapon, however, prosecutors say that he could still get the death penalty for conspiracy to commit murder and aiding and abetting murder. Um, something else, just a couple of things that we were talking about before we started recording is like, why this is a crazy case and obviously we're doing a very abbreviated version of it and there's definitely some deep dives you can go down if you want to continue looking into it like watching the dr phil special and all that but why i mean some people might be thinking like why the hell have i never heard of this before and there are some things that were happening around that time so you being around that area what was like the biggest story in the year that this happened um, I mean, definitely the Lacey Peterson case, that, case and trial. Yeah, that happened. The The case happened in 2002. And like the whole, I mean, she was this beautiful eight and a half month pregnant woman with this quote unquote attractive man. I don't, I, I think Scott Peterson's fucking gross. But I mean, that's also because he's a fucking monster in, in my eyes. Sorry. Well, nope, not sorry. But yeah, I mean, we tend to be kind of like, captivated as a nation when it comes to like beautiful white women and you know something that we haven't explicitly said is that Marcus Wesson is a black dude right and he was a heavy black dude with huge dreads and so any story about like this beautiful white woman is going to potentially you know overshadow especially like a person of color in the media and yeah there's absolutely nothing sexy about this trial and case at all no and also like so even though the Lacey peterson thing happened in 2002 her trial was just or the trial to convict scott peterson was like right in that sweet spot so this happened in march of 2004 and i believe her trial started in like june and there was just so much coverage that it kind of got lost in it you know right and then merced where the where the petersons were living is about 45 minutes away from fresno up the 99 north uh and so that and and really and then him taking his boat to the bay area and Mm then uh the massage therapist strangely enough i went to the same school that she went to are you talking about scott peterson's other girlfriend yes amber frey yes amber yeah (laughs) wasn't she in la or something or she was in Southern California somewhere. So it kind she of probably is all over California. Yeah. And also mm-hmm. happening in California during that time. And um, so I was in that area. We were both in California during that time. <laughs> 
I was in Santa Barbara, which is a little bit nicer than <laughs> Modesto and Fresno and Merced. It's technically kind of the last stop before it isn't Southern California anymore. Santa Barbara is home is like basically any rich, famous person's second home. Uh, have you ever been to Santa Barbara? Uh, no, actually, I don't. I don't well, it's, I'm sure it's at some b- point, but <laughs> it's like throw up beautiful. So. Nice. Um, one of our famous residents. So I think may- potentially it's like two to three hours away from where you were. So I was living there at the time. And the biggest news, obviously, in the area, pl- in, in addition to the nation, was during this time as well, was the Michael Jackson trial, the first kind of Michael Jackson child molestation trials. So that was like 2004, 2005 time as well. So it's it's kind of no wonder that like Marcus was I mean, again there's nothing seductive or like pretty I hate to say that you know you, you get what I mean though there's nothing it was just pure just disgust like you know like Fresno is so weirdly isolated too that no other city I can think of maybe Bakersfield would be oh, yeah. kind of similar because so you have the I-5 that runs down yeah down California you know from Mexico to Canada basically you have the mm-hmm. I-5 you really have to veer off the the I-5 to go to the 99 which you know at the point where you hit Fresno there's about an hour uh if you just drive like west to east from the I-5 to the 99 it takes about an hour through like back roads to get mm-hmm. there so it's it's just so isolated off this weird like I think 99 was intended to be like a trucking freeway or something yeah like it's almost like Fresno did so, wasn't meant to be a town it was just a farming community and they built this you know trucking road hmm. for the trucks to go down and it's you know the 99 can be like a pretty rough freeway to go up and down a lot more rough than the five can be and uh, you know so a lot of bands and stuff like on tour just completely miss it it's just they just never get close to it so that's it's just one of the reasons why it's so isolated and separated from this <laughs> 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 Those lovebirds, man. <laughs> Loving the story of incest and murder here. Love is in the air. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, that is technically the story of Marcus Wesson. I mean, it's, ugh, what do we think? <laughs> I mean, we, we've said what we think, but, I mean, gosh. If he could have just been like a minister or preacher you know what i mean and i don't know i feel like all of our episodes end with you saying something like that. i know i'm always <laughs> trying to look to see like if if there's some other outlet we could have given this fucking her you know horrendous killer this is the, the teacher and you really yeah it's yeah. like can we get you in a program at portland community college yeah. <laughs> there's just part of me that's just like if we if we just found the right outlet for him he could have been different you know i'm always trying to yeah, it is the teacher in me. Good. He just took he just took his need and want for a family to an extreme that is beyond any anything that a normal person would do, uh, and then had this religious overtone that yeah uh, is a little bit. I mean, it's he's he definitely you can't be anywhere near right in the head to be. Yeah, and something uh, that we keep seeing with all of our really depraved kind of. Pfft, terrible people that we talk about too is just like that pretty shitty childhood too i mean childhood trauma is real throw the military on top of that too yeah yeah i mean he's kind of got it all would the birds like to say anything (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so Lauren, one of the ways we know you is that you're in a couple of bands or, you know, I know you're taking a break from that being pregnant and all in COVID, but if anybody wanted to listen to some of your awesome music, where could they find you or your bands? Uh, so I, I was the second, second or maybe third drummer for Shard of the Heretic for quite a few years, about six years. And so the last two albums they put out, that's me playing drums on that take responsibility for that <laughs> um, <laughs> and then uh, I, I played bass uh, mostly live for Shrine of the Serpent which is a, a band that I did with uh, my friends Chuck and Todd and Todd is also in a band it's his solo project and cur- because it's a solo project he's currently putting stuff out um, so it's called Withering of Light and I know he just came out with a new album recently um, and that's more of like an ambient kind of if you're into like one man black metal things this is like an ambient kind of uh, synthesizer project that he does that I think is really great. Cool. Thank you. Well, thank you for being on the show and letting us know about Fresno so we can stay far, far away from that in Bakersfield. <laughs> I was thinking uh, maybe we can maybe start our family check, there. Check out the town. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know you were like, do you want to stop by on the way? I was like, no, yeah, I think we're good. So, so to talk about the building, the office building, they actually bulldozed it. So it doesn't oh. exist anymore. Oh, okay. Unfortunately, there's some really great things on that street. There was a liquor store I would like to plug. I think might not be there anymore. But anyway, it's called Balls Liquor. <laughs> that is a great name. I used to bring bands by there to take photos, like band photos afterwards. It's It was spelled B-A-L, B-A-L-I-S Liquor. But yeah, it was fantastic. So that was my favorite liquor store. And then the, the Marcus Weston House or office building uh, was on the corner of Olive and West you kind of go one street up on west north and there's a street called hammond and you'll see this empty lot and it's probably got like a chain link fence around it but that's what the building used to be um other than that there's some great mexican food on olive avenue <laughs> oh okay we'll have to check it out if we're ever there yeah you can join our true crime dumpster facebook group you could follow us on twitter at tc dumpster and on Instagram, True Crime Dumpster. You can email us at truecrimedumpster at gmail.com. Listen to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, YouTube, and many other platforms. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends about our podcast. <laughs> Every review, rating, and referral helps us to get a larger audience. So tune in next time as we continue talking out the trash. Bye. 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 <laughs>